This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Southampton, the historic departure point for RMS Titanic and the place where Manchester City will travel to tomorrow evening, hoping to keep their title hopes afloat. Will they sink or swim? Well, hopefully win at St Mary's on Saturday. Who knows? But to get the view from the opposition corner, I'll be joined by football writer and podcaster Fraser Spinney. It's Friday the 7th of April. I'm Amos Murphy and this is the City Report Podcast. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Joined by Fraser Spinney, uh, covers... Southampton podcast writing etc Fraser thank you very much for jumping on absolute pleasure to have you here thanks for having me yeah appreciate it superb superb right okay I want to I'm interested I'm really interested and obviously City in the last few weeks had some pretty big games we've had some some people coming on speak about Liverpool speak about big teams I'm interested to see it from the other end this season because obviously Southampton come into this match bottom of the Premier League table which I don't know if it was the feeling before the season. It's it, this feels like one of the longest seasons ever, so I'm I'm sort of struggling to properly compute it myself. But I, at the start of the season, obviously under Hasidutel, Southampton made a lot of signings, a lot of really good young players. There was always a fear that perhaps they might not gel. But I can imagine covering the club. You've had an interesting campaign because it seems like it's been pretty chaotic down there on the south coast. Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty, pretty wild ride, like you say. I mean, the I think that I think the expectation pre, before the season was probably um, aim for around fifteenth, which is where we finished the previous two seasons, and sort of kick on and build next season potentially with the young players sort of integrated. But 
it hasn't hasn't quite worked like that. And um, the the problem I think we've had is our recruitment in the summer, like you say, was very focused on young talent, but we've got a lot of young players and a lot of older players and not a lot in between. And it's, I think it's a bit of a concern. I mean, you're, when you've got players sort of um, Gavin Bazzuna in goal, who he signed from from City, obviously, who's first season in the Premier League and he's had a bit of an indifferent time. He's been better lately, but he's struggled. I mean, we, I mean, we raided you a bit for um, Labriere, um, um, Larios, um, a, f- a few of them, but um, Adozi. But of those, only Lavia's really shown the quality and I mean Lavia I mean Lavia's great he is unbelievable and if he'd been fit all season I think we'd have a much better chance of staying in the division but um yeah it's been a weird season when you when you when you're on your third manager of the season and he was the assistant manager under the previous two something's gone very badly wrong um that's clear from anyone's perspective we've we're 20 after 29 games we've got nine games to save our season and it's not looking massively promising. We can't beat the teams around us, and that's the biggest worry. We we nick a result, a win against Chelsea or a draw against Spurs, but we just the teams around us. We've lost one 0 to Leeds. We've lost one 0 to Forest. One 0 to West Ham. Two one and one 0 against Wolves. One of which we are one 0 up, and Wolves had ten men for sixty minutes. It's we just can't beat the teams around us. The amount of games we lose one 0 we can't score and we can't defend. So there's not a lot of hope really when you look at it like that. And um, I think the biggest problem for us this season is that we gave our biggest run of fixtures of nine games around Christmas New Year time of must-win games there was nine fixtures there that were quite nice run of fixtures and it was Nathan Jones who oversaw them and it was just completely uninspired I think we got three points out of 27 from that run of must must-win games basically so it's, it's it's not looking too great to be honest with you. <laughs> A nice positive start to kick things off. Then um, I want to I want to touch on Nathan Jones because I think everyone outside of Southampton um, supporters probably had a really fun couple of months whilst he was at the club with those obviously those viral press conferences. I think my favourite line was when he said he was the fittest man in the world or something like that. Yeah. Um, and you know there were there were plenty of other other one liners in there as well. I, I'm just looking at the table now. Southampton were I think it was 18th or 19th. When when they let Hassan Hootel go, obviously since then it's bar I think one week of the Premier League season it's been twentieth position all the way. What was it? A reg- is, is there a regret? Is there a sort of because obviously Hassan Hootel was there a long time. The new owners came in, they stuck by him perhaps when they could have let him go earlier. Is there a sort of looking at it perhaps saying I don't know maybe it was right to sack Hassan Hootel, but obviously the appointment was horrifically bad. Sellers has come in. I mean, I, I love his get up. To be fair, that that uh, that turtle neck looks great, and he look he looks like a Bond villain on the touchline. But like you say, you know, results haven't been there. What where's it gone wrong? I suppose that's a broad question. There's probably loads of places to start off with. But Nathan Jones calamity was that the wrong decision to sack him? Was it the right? I, I don't I don't know where you pinpoint the the actual yeah. issue here. It absolutely wasn't the wrong decision to sack Nathan Jones. Um, the Hassan Hutu one is a bit of a contentious point among the Saints fan base. A lot of divide, division around that. He was a very well-liked manager, but the last sort of 12 to 18 months were pretty pretty awful. And I think a lot of people have sort of rose tinted glass at the moment from a Saints perspective and going, oh, we, we should never have sacked him. And I loved Ralph Hassan as a manager, but it was it had gone stale. It was his time to move on. It's just the fact we re- replaced him with such a such a terrible appointment. Really, I mean, at the time it was it was sort of seen as an uninspiring appointment, but one that maybe was quite clever 
potentially given what he'd done at Luton. Um, but there was just, I mean, there's a whole lot of things that went wrong. One of the main things is um, I think he came in a day before Liverpool, which was the last pre-World Cup game. Um, hadn't had a training session. No one could really judge what he did against Liverpool. We lost 3-1, but I mean, that happens. Um the problem therein is that we had a sort of he had a basically had a, a pre-season within the World Cup. We only had two players that went to the World Cup and both exited pretty early. Um, so we had sort of a six-week period to work with the players, and he gave the first, I think I'm I'm right in saying that he gave the first the first two weeks of that period he gave the players a, uh, two weeks off um, to sort of get himself liked, I think, and then they went on a on a sort of warm weather training camp. Um, and then our our next game was um Brighton. We lost three one. Next league game was Brighton. We lost three one at home, and it was a terrible performance. And performances were going were going backwards. We were poor at the end of Hasnul, but we regressed under Nathan Jones. So you didn't get a new manager bounce. You didn't get, and also the World Cup sort of meant there wasn't new manager bounce because although he's this new sort of games, he'd been been got his feet feet under the sort of under the carpet there, and uh, there was no new manager bounce. Tactically, he was so out of his depth he um he's he's spent sent a lot of mixed messages he said he wants us to be a direct um powerful team he um often played a center back at right back to be he didn't say he said we weren't tall enough and stuff like that when on the face of it that's fine but there was just no game plan he in my opinion it was very early on his tenure i think it was only four or five league games in but after the one nil home defeat to forest he should have gone because it was there was absolutely no sign that he could be the right guy to get us out of this. He alienated the entire fan base and alienated all the players. I mean, he publicly called out our best players. He, um, Jan Benarek went on loan to Aston Villa at the start of the season. As he left, sort of said how much he was going, looking forward to going to a bigger club and all this, which made fans sort of turn on him. First thing Nathan Jones was, did was bring him back in and refer to him as Yanny B, like they were old friends from school or something like that. He was... He was a it was a nightmare, and I don't think um I, I think a lot of it is potentially due to being a bit thinking he had to do something because he was taking that step up and he was taking a punt on him, but he just went about it all the wrong way, and um that's the costly error. I think I think if we'd adequately replaced Hassan Hootel, we would have been okay, but that mistake I don't think Hassan Hootel being sacked was a mistake, but I think the replacement obviously was a mistake and. And like I said, ending the season with your with your backup assistant coach who's never managed a uh, senior game is is never an ideal scenario. And um, I do I don't feel sorry for Nathan Jones per se, but I think the the issues aren't just his. The issues are board level decision making. Um, effectively, weird to say that because we've been crying out for investment for a few years and they have spent money, just not on the right players. <laughs> Yeah, it goes to show, doesn't it? It goes to show we're at a football club, uh, myself, in, who, who knows what it's like to spend money and knows what it's like to spend money well. And, and a lot of the talk is, well, if you've got money, you'll be successful. And, you know, it, it just simply isn't the case. Um, I want to I wanna pick up on a couple of players then before we switch attention to the match itself. Um, let, let's start with James Ward-Prowse because obviously he's Mr. Southampton despite being born in Portsmouth, of course. But, um, you know, he, he is the face of the club or at least he has been the face of the club probably since promotion in 2012, I think it was. Um, obviously started his career as a teenager, came through the ranks, now captain. Is this 
the final few weeks, do you think, of James Ward-Prowse in a Southampton shirt? I mean, even if the miracle happened and Southampton stayed up, what is he now, 27, 28? That mm. opportunity to really go to, you know, one of the quote-unquote big clubs in the Premier League, make a name, maybe make a shout for Euro 2024 squad with the England team. Is it going to be a? Is it going to be a, an emotional goodbye? Do you think? Because I can imagine, you know, I'm already seeing the Instagram post, the the farewell at St Mary's. You know, he is he is synonymous with the football club, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know at Manchester United, Newcastle, possibly even City. There's going to be a big big midfield refresh at City in the summer. He's a player of quality, probably too good to be in the Championship, maybe too good to be at the bottom of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, like you say, he is basically Southampton personified now. He's our only real leader in that team that you can look at and think. And also, he leads. He's one. He's not a shouty sort of captain. He leads by example. Um, against Tottenham when we went three one down, um, a couple of weeks or just before the international break, he actually um got everyone into a sort of huddle for a team talk at three one down, and everyone's sort of looking around in the crowd, being like. What's going on? No, this is a bit strange. But actually, I mean, we came back and drew three or when he scored the decisive penalty. The amount of we would be, I mean, we've been very lucky this season that a lot of teams around us are also pretty poor. So we every time we should have been cut off, we're somehow not. We should be relegated by now, effectively, we're like the, the performances and the results. But somehow there's still only four points between us and safety. Um he is, yeah, I mean, his free kick, he's one off David Beckham's free kick record in the Premier League. He's, and that's playing for little old Southampton. Like, he's 400 appearances for Saints. Um, he is, and there were, like, at the start of his career, he had a difficult few years. And I think about four or five seasons ago, he was on the brink of sort of getting pushed out of the club. I think um, it was actually Hassan who revived Ward Prowse's career. He was playing a lot as, he didn't nail down a position. He was playing right midfield. He was playing as a 10, he was playing as a midfielder. And I think um, I remember we played away at Chelsea and one of Hassan, who was very early games, and he had been starting um, Hoiberg and Romeo as a pairing. And Hoiberg, I think, was suspended, so Ward Prowse came in. And um, Hassan, who said you're like to him, apparently you're a very good player, but you've got to be more aggressive if you want to play on my team. And it, all of a sudden, it was like a different player. He was the Ward Prowse who was sort of backing out of challenges and stuff. Was like all of a sudden man of the gone, like man man of the past, and he was like a man possessed. Honestly, it was quite a remarkable change and he is he always has every season he seems to have the highest running distance in the prem over the course of the season he I think he has the longest he went two seasons playing every minute of every game in the premier league which has never been done before as a midfielder and that is quite a ridiculous stat when you think about it um he is yeah he is unbelievable and we're very very lucky to have him and i don't i think we could be looking at the last few sort of weeks of that and it will be a very emotional farewell and I think he does I mean he if we especially if we go down he deserves to go on and progress his career he was sort of uh, there was rumors that he was sort of half tempted by a move to Villa about 18 months ago um personally I liked Villa obviously doing well at the moment personally if he is going to leave I'd like to see him go and go a little bit higher than that um I don't think personally for me I don't think he's the quality of a city or a or a well, a city or... A, well, I guess it is just a city at the moment because the table is so weird in terms of who is up there. I mean, he could probably do a fit in at maybe an Arsenal, but as a rotation player. But, um, yeah, he's just great. And I feel, do you feel bad for him? Because I think even if we stay up, I think if he wants an England career, he does have to go because it's been proven to him that no matter how well he plays, how many goals and assists he gets, Southgate's not interested. Um, I mean... Obviously, you've got Calvin Phillips at the club who keeps getting in. You would probably say is the player keeping him out of the England squad. And it's 
if you're Ward Prowse, you must be asking, right, what more you can do. I mean, he was Ward Prowse was very unlucky not to go to Euro 2020 when Phillips went in. Phillips obviously did very well, but I still, I mean, it's it's hard for him because he's got a decision to make in the sense that if we do stay up, he, I mean, he already is a club legend on in his own right, just just from what he's done already. But he could really cement that if he did stick around and stay and go. Actually, I'm going to end my career here. I mean. It, for him, what's the difference between staying, if we do stay up, staying in the Prem and being a, like our icon or going a bit higher and there's no guarantee of trophies or anything like that, but you could play some European football, you could get England recognition. It's a it's a big decision for him to make, but I think if we go down, that decision has is made for him. He can't play championship football. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the England conversation. It'd be typical, wouldn't it? First game in a new a new club, a Newcastle United and Arsenal, whatever. First September international break, he's straight into the starting eleven. That's how it seems to go. Uh, Jack Grealish similarly had a, had a similar issue when he joined from City from Aston Villa. He was a, suddenly a Southgate favourite. Um, one one person who will certainly not be a Southgate favourite, although would no doubt be misused by by Mister Waistcoat himself, is Romeo Lavia and. A massive Manchester City connection, like you said at the top. You know, plenty of players from City's academy team went over to Southampton, and there's been a lot of discussion within the City supporter ranks about letting him go. And my line has always been: he simply would not have played the number of games he he, he has played for Southampton this season had he stayed at City. He would not have developed. There would not be the same conversation. He wouldn't have been getting in the first team ahead of Rodri. So it's almost like. A really expensive loan signing for City should he come back. Obviously, the release clause is reported to come into play in 2024. That could all change again if Southampton go down because I think it was, what, six days, seven days after he signed, Chelsea was sniffing around him looking to play a bid, which is probably says more about Chelsea than anything else considering the way they've been ran. But, you know, again, United, Chelsea, Arsenal have all been linked with him. Just how good is he in terms of the quality? Because he said that he's he's been the best signing from that summer cohort, but also at the same time, not like those signings have kicked on. So is it a case of him being really good in a, in a team that lacks a little bit of quality or is he genuinely a standout player destined for the top? I wholeheartedly believe he is going to be a world-class midfield player. He is... For his age, I mean, he's turned 19 during the course of the season, but for his age and the fact that he'd never played a senior Premier League game, don't know if he played a senior game at all for City, he is just incredible. His composure is... I've never seen a, a player of his age have that level of composure. He um he got injured. Uh, yeah, Like you said, that Chelsea game, we, we beat them 2-1 and obviously it was what led to Tuchel getting sacked, but they put in a pit straight after the game for him, which is also... It's very Chelsea and very reactionary, but it just shows how impressive he was, I think. Um, and he got injured in that game and we, we were out of loss him for a while. And I I do believe if we if he hadn't got injured for that prolonged period of time, despite our goal troubles, we would be in a far, far better position. He is we can't play the way we want to play without him, which is crazy when you think he'd never played first team football before this season, but he is the most press resistant, like holding midfield. He can. He's got a really, really good knack. He, we, everything we do in terms of building through the through the through the third, sorry, goes through him. It's either he collects the ball off the centre back and he'll he'll take the ball under pressure, no problem. He'll either bounce it back to a centre back or he'll he does this incredible thing very often where he uses the weight of the pass when he's got someone pressing right behind him. And he just let he just drops his shoulder and without touching the ball, he's he's beating his man and he's so good at that. 
dribbling wise, he's he's incredible in in tight areas. He's very very good at keeping onto the hold of the ball. He's very good. Um, he can sort of ch- good quick turn uh, change of direction that allows him to play either to either full back or forward. He's his forward passing. He looks he does always look for the forward pass. He's not a negative sort of defensive midfielder at all. And he's I mean he's he typifies sort of a Man City hold midfielder really, which is because he is a Man City midfielder. <laughs> but um he is yeah, I obviously made his Belgium debut um in the international break. He's he is the real deal. And I think um him and Ward Prowse when they're together they are they have a really good sort of relationship and he he I mean he, he can score a goal as well. He scored against Chelsea. He had a good effort against um West Ham at the weekend. He's He's in, he's got very good. He can sort of pick that eye of the needle pass, and he he takes those plays those risky passes um, that you don't normally necessarily associate with your holding midfield player. And I think that, that's what separates a good holding midfielder from a great holding midfielder is that ability to actually break the lines of a pass, be that important component of the build up, like a Rodri. Um, he's yeah, he's the real deal. I think this season, and like you say, I think City fans might think, oh, maybe we should have um, kept hold of him, but. This season has been invaluable for his development. He will not have been at the level he's at without coming to Southampton this season or a similar sort of club. Who um, and we have put to be fair, we have put a lot of trust in him. We've got thrown straight in. Everyone sort of thought when we signed him, oh, he'll be a good one for the future. And then on the opening day, he was playing in the holding midfield role, which meant Oriol Romeo actually was displaced and had to play further forward, which is completely out of his comfort zone because Romeo was so good at that role. He is. Yeah, he is in terms of to the point where that we've had a couple of games this season. Forrest did it really well against us actually at home, where Morgan Gibbs White's sole job was to stop our centre backs playing the ball into Lavia. He was constantly screening him and like and it did work to be fair. But yeah, we can't play we haven't got a player that of the of a similar profile anywhere near as good at taking the ball off the defence and, and actually getting us on the front foot. He plays a lovely he's got a lovely ball pass in his locker where he gets played into it from a fullback and he sweeps it around sort of playing in a winger or a striker and um yeah I can't speak highly enough of him. I know it's gonna hurt a lot when he goes, but um he will I can't see him being a Savannah player next season regardless of our future as as whether we're a Premier League or Championship club because there's just gonna be too much interest. And I can't really see City let anyone else get him. So he could and I I mean I don't know how much say you'll have in it because of like you say the clauses in the contract and there must be a relegation clause in there as well, I would imagine. Um like you say I think City have a forty million buyback Chelsea bid 50 million three weeks after we signed him in the summer or whatever it was so there's a lot of interest and I can honestly say he would improve almost every team in the Premier League yeah yeah bold stuff I think that's the difference isn't it with a between a defensive midfielder and a holding midfielder a defensive midfielder can break up play they can give the ball to the sort of the number eights the advanced playmakers whatever you want to call them a holding midfielder can do that job and they can start attacks, they can get on the front foot of themselves and that's certainly what it looks like Lavia can do. So yeah, that'll that'll do for part one then. We'll be back after a very short break to continue our look ahead to tomorrow's fixture. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. Right then, let, let's speak about the upcoming match on Saturday evening then. Obviously, we're, for City, it's 10 games to go, 10 games to try and get uh, get back to Arsenal for Southampton. I think it's nine to save the season. You know, we're talking about two comparable teams at either end of the table. But as we know in the Premier League specifically this season, that means sweet F all. And, and City know that themselves a little bit more than, 
the other teams against Southampton. I was doing a little bit of digging back through some results, and it, it it's been far from a happy hunting ground for City. You know, you mentioned the Shea Adams wonder goal. Um, even this season, the League Cup game, two wins from five at St Mary's for City. Is it is it now or never for Southampton? Because it feels like you're looking at that table and and it it's like two points from 14th to 19th, and then there's a little bit of a gap between Southampton. So they're comfortably bottom in probably the tightest Premier League relegation battle of all time, which isn't great news for Saint fans. Free hit is it is it as simple as that? Can you have a free hit at this stage of the season, or do realistically Southampton need to get a point at least against City to have any hopes of catching those in front of them? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think we're at a point now where there's no such thing as a free hit for um for Southampton and for a lot of clubs, to be honest. Um, we have to start picking up points places where we shouldn't be getting points because that's the only way we're going to make up the ground on the teams around us. I mean, like I say, it's we're a bit of a strange club in the sense that. We perform better against the better clubs. We are we've been really uninspiring against the teams around us this season. Um, only really a couple of wins against teams around us. One of which being sort of a two-one win away at Everton when Everton were at their worst under Lampard. Really, and it is a, it's not it's, <clears throat> excuse me it's not a free hit at all. And like you say, we have had some success against City um, in the past few years and. It almost suits us playing a team like City where there's no expectation on us to sort of take the game to the opposition. We struggle, particularly at home, against teams that sort of sit in on us and expect us to go and break them down because we're a team that focuses on quick transitions and turnovers and that's where we sort of get on the front foot. And that's kind of been for the last sort of four or five years since Hassan Hoos took over in December 2018. Is It's always been about those transitions and breaking quickly and... Um, we can't do that when a team sits in on you. And then that's where our sort of lesser quality of player shows as we can't really break someone down. So City have City setups in a way that we can cause problems or we have caused problems in the past. I mean, the home game, obviously, in, in October, you beat us 4-0, very comfortable afternoon for you. And we were, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, we were poor that day. And we played a 4-4-2 that day, which wasn't, wasn't really the right approach, I don't think. And I'm... Um, and then the um, Carabao Cup, obviously, game, we beat you 2-0, but you had a lot of players missing. I mean, I looked earlier and you had no, no Rodri, Haaland, De Bruyne, Edison, Diaz, Stones, Mares, Bernardo Silva wasn't playing. Like, there was... it. It's difficult to read too much into that. But I think we can take some elements of that performance and still implement them potentially this weekend. We, we played a 4-2-3-1 against you that game and we really looked to hurt you out wide with pace and quick transitions on the counter. And it worked really, really well that evening. And like I said, I know there were obviously it was a, a weakened Man City side, but weirdly that night it was a weakened Southampton side. We actually sort of came out better because it, we played sort of more aggressive flair players that were sort of quick. And I mean, Gianepo scored a goal, which happens very, very rarely. And he's very, very much hot and cold, mainly cold, but very unpredictable. But um, I think um, the best approach for Southampton is to sort of try and try and low city in and just defend well we have we like you say we have got a good record and we have we do tend to sort of really defend well against against city generally the four nil aside I, I guess but um the problem for us is that we um our best two center backs in Salisu and Bella Kochab have well they missed the last game for injury and um there's it's been a bit quiet as to whether they're going to be available for the weekend and obviously Erling Haaland's back so <laughs> there is that as well but I think um we have to start picking up points. And I mean, the crucial games are going to be the 
the games against we've got Palace at home, Bournemouth at home, Forest away, Fulham at home, which has, happens to be Mitrovic's first game back after his ban as well, annoyingly. But they're the games we have to get points from, and games like City are games where if we are going to stay up, we're going to have to find a way to pick up a point here and there from those sort of games. So it's a massive game for us, and I think. Every time I think, oh, I'm done, this this season's over, we're down, we find, they find a way to pull me back in. So maybe, maybe I'm, I'm clutching at straws, but maybe there's a tiny bit of hope for us. Um, but it's going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. This season is, is I, I'm almost certain, is big, big uh, changes and big twisting points to come in this season at both ends of the table. There's no way that a season like this just ends in rudimentary fashion on it, obviously. We all have our own objectives, which we hope it will will end up in. Um, finally then, obviously, you've mentioned the managerial merry-go-round at St Mary's, started the season with Hassenhutl, a bizarre sort of fever dream period with, with Nathan Jones. Ruben Sellers comes in, he wins his first game against Chelsea, and then, like you say, goes away to to Leeds the sort of the following weekend and, and and doesn't win. Then beats Leicester, so it's been you know a point against uh, Old Trafford against United as well, point against Tottenham. So it's a really sort of the consistency element isn't there as good as he looks on the touchline. There, there is a sort of you know a string of results just hasn't been the case for Southampton this season. What what can we expect from? Sellers' team on Saturday as opposed to sort of the traditional Southampton, Hassan Hootel, sort of that RB model of high press, try and swarm the midfield where possible, obviously don't allow too many, uh, don't allow too much space on the back line, try and hit the opposition on the counter-attack. Is it sort of copy and paste? Obviously Sellers has been at the club for plenty of time to have integrated those models and the players have known it quite well or is there a sort of has he had a different footprint on the on the side since taking over in what mid-February yeah it's a bit it's been it's a good question because it's actually quite a difficult one to answer because initially um due to potentially lack of time and and familiarity he did and he admits this himself he sort of took on Hassan Hootl's approach and we played that 4-2-2-2 that he's famous for and that sort of counter-pressing football and uh, we got some joy out of it. I mean, like I say, that happens to work well against against better sides anyway and I don't know whether you can count Chelsea as a better side at the moment, but they, they were, um, that's how we approached that game and he has sort of piggybacked Hassan Hootl's tactics basically. We've played that system a lot, 4-2-2-2 or a 4-2-3-1, which sort of out of possession becomes a 4-2-2-2. Um, it's difficult to say because he's he's never obviously had his own side before this, and he has he's obviously had a perfect example from Nathan Jones of what not to do as a manager, and probably taken some things from Hassan in terms of what works well. But actually, he's obviously seen Hassan who was sort of demise at the club as well. So I think it is difficult to say, but um, I would expect us to be in a four, probably in a four two three one. Um, that will be quite flexible. At times, it might look like a four-three-three. At times, it might look like a four-two-two-two. A lot depends on Chad Adams's fitness, I think, as well. Because in terms of attack, he's our best presser um, in terms of attacking, which is a weird thing to associate with your forward and sort of be like, ah, he's yeah, he's great at pressing, but he is very good at it. And he has he has often caused City problems in the past. He's he, but the problem with Chad Adams is he needs support and. He probably won't get an awful lot of that against City. Um, yeah, so in terms of what to expect, I, th- I would expect us to play pressing football, but um, potentially potentially a, a bit of a sort of lower block than we normally would against 
um, majority of sides just because of the fact you're obviously so so good in possession. Um, I, I, City have obviously been playing that sort of um, well four centre backs really lately, and I imagine that will continue. And I think we often have a press trigger. So um, against United, it was away at United, it was Wambasaka because he's obviously uh, limited in terms of his his ability on the ball. And I think. City, I mean, there aren't many players at City limited on the ball, but I guess out of your back four, you'd maybe target Ake slightly. Um, if he is playing that role and use that channel, I mean, I, I actually, I really rate Ake. I think he's a really good player, but if you had to identify one, you'd maybe go with him. Um, it was difficult to say. I think a lot of it depends on our centre-backs as well, because if if Belakotchap and um, Salisu were fit, we could probably play a bit of a higher line because they're so quick. But with Benarak and Chaleta Saar, you're you're a bit more concerned about sort of, and I know City don't really run in behind, but you're a bit more concerned about that that sort of ball in behind. Um, Chaleta Saza walking red cards, so there's that as well. He's um can't resist a challenge, so him and Haaland could be an interesting battle if that is the the battle. Um, so there's a lot of interesting aspects of the game. I mean, Walker Peters against Grealish is an interesting battle. I think Walker Peters is as our best fullback and he's he'll get a move this summer if he wants one basically and that could be an interesting battle um likewise on the other side probably Mares against Perro you think Mares probably have the beaten of him so yeah in terms of what to expect I would expect us to we'll probably start fast I would imagine we'll we'll start fast and then the game will probably settle into his rhythm after that I mean um War Prowse and Lavia will be very busy in the midfield and I imagine we'll we'll go quite. I think our, in terms of personnel, we'll go quite quite safe. I mean, against West Ham, we had a very uninspiring front four of El Yunusi, Stuart Armstrong, Mara, and um, Walcott, and that was effectively they were chosen because they're our best, well, available best four presses, which is not the most inspiring thing for your four attacking players. But there is there's there's logic behind it playing against a city more maybe more so than going away at West Ham to be honest so i think you'll see us sort of not be too ambitious but we'll we'll look to break when we can and i wouldn't be surprised to see um see uh, the likes of Suleimana have an impact on the game potentially off the bench when they're looking to stretch the game a bit more with a bit of pace because they are he is the kind of player that can make something happen against a city side where you have to sort of you almost need a bit of chaos to be successful against city i think you need the game if you let city have the game how they want it you're going to be in for a very very long day so yeah i mean it's hard to say because i could say all this and we just sit in and camp and don't do anything or, or it could be the opposite but and it is hard to predict with sellers because we've got about such a limited sample size of, of games but i would expect it will be it will be like watching a bit of a hassan people side i would imagine I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see Yanni B versus Harlan. That should be a good uh, a good matchup. Uh, Fraser, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed the insight and the chat. So thank you very much at Fraser Spinny Twenty One. If people want to find you, you've got your own podcast, you've got your own writing as well. So really appreciate that, mate. Thank you. No, perfect. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I can't say I'm looking forward to the game as much as you probably are, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's it for this week then. Hopefully we'll be back on Monday. Well, maybe not for Fraser's sake, but hopefully for us speaking about a Manchester City victory at St. Mary's on Saturday. If you are new, as always, please hit follow, hit subscribe. We'll be back on Monday, gearing up for a mammoth week of football, starting with that game against Bayern Munich, of course. And until next time, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening along this week. We'll see you later.
Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.